The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today it's all about aging with Maddie Dykewald from Age Wave in California. Maddie, welcome. Thank you, Hackey. It's great to be here. Tell us what people can learn from Age Wave and what Age Wave offers. Well, I mean, if people really want to know, they can go to our website, which is agewave.com. But basically, uh, we have been, since the mid-1980s, been perceived as being on the cutting edge of this whole population aging and what it means for us. So not just for us as individuals, but as a society, uh, for public policy, uh, for corporations, uh, for our society at large, really. So we work with a lot of large corporations. Uh, We've worked with a big percentage of the Fortune 500, um, helping them better understand the mature market, the 50 plus market, which is actually several different markets, but that's a whole other conversation. People lump that 50 plus together uh, and see what the opportunities are for them to better serve older adults. So just as an example, as you might imagine, the financial services industry They're really interested in the whole world of retirement. They see it as being a bullseye for them. And what we try to do is to educate them in a variety of different ways, educate their advisors and even their clients to how retirement is changing. And that you can't look at retirement just as the number, which is pretty much how retirement was looked at in the past in terms of financial services and how they can help their potential retirees, but instead to look at the entirety of retirement. So to look at it in a more holistic way. So for instance, if you're a financial services company and you have financial advisors who work for you and your financial advisors work with clients, we try to help them better serve those clients by having them better understand what caregiving, for instance, means to someone as they get older. Uh, what it, how does health interface with both their finances and with their life? How does family affect their finances, uh, their caregiving opportunities and, and risks, as well as you know the other kinds of challenges that they have in their life? So we look at the whole and we try to get financial services companies who notoriously have been about the transaction, about the number, get to try to serve clients in a better way. And it seems to be working really well. And we do it through you know, training, uh, doing keynote speeches, doing all kinds of research and sort of media launches for them. We, we try to help them in a variety of ways. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. But it's exciting because I feel like we're creating a new ecosystem for these financial services companies to better understand aging, what it means to be getting to be an older person in this world, and how retirement and retirement planning and financial security fits into the whole picture of retirement. 
Well, certainly a big part of it. That's for sure. Yeah. What are your What are your current goals now? Well, I'm in the process of. Uh, I just submitted a book proposal. I haven't written a book in ten years, literally in ten years. And part of the reason I haven't was because. You know, what's the book market today anyway? So yeah. haven't done that in 10 years. And, and I also didn't feel like passionate about something to in order to like make that happen. So, you know, I just ignored that world of books and focused on speaking and consulting and just enjoying life, I guess. Uh, but recently, in the last couple of years, I've really gotten excited about this whole idea of ageless aging, the idea that age shouldn't define who we are, how we live, what our experiences are, and in fact, that there are some things we can do so that we could build our strength and vitality and resilience, and even our immunity in this time of the whole coronavirus thing. So um, finally, once we were in lockdown, sheltering in place, I started working on a book proposal, and I finished it this week. Wow. So I just submitted it to a literary agent, and um, he I just heard back from him this morning uh, because he had seen an article that, I, that had come out featuring me the other day. And so, um, you know, he's going to read it this weekend, and fingers crossed, who knows? Do we have a working title for your new book? Yeah, we do. We do. It's um, kind of alluded to it. It's called Ageless Aging, uh, Five Keys to Strength, Resilience, and Vitality uh, for Women. I'm focusing it on women in the new normal. So we are in a new normal, and it's going to require a lot more strength, vitality, and resilience to make it that things happen. Tell us some of the big differences between men and women when it comes to aging and health. Well, I'll focus in on the brain for one thing. First of all, we have different bodies. I mean, come on, just anatomically, look at us. We're different. And, it, you know, our hormones are different, and hormones really, really impact the way you're aging, the way you're living, and, you know, how you feel about life. So it affects everything. It also, as you know, probably better than I do, it affects your brain. And so that's one of the big things that are different. And as you know, in terms of brain health, uh, you know, women are, are a little bit, in some ways, they're more protected because of estrogen uh, in their bodies and in their minds. But after a certain point, when they reach now, let's say age 50 or 60, they become more vulnerable in certain ways. So to heart disease, for one thing, but also, uh, as you probably are well aware, they're much more vulnerable to things like Alzheimer's disease. And so, you know, I've seen my grandmother, I've seen my mom, I've seen Ken's mom all get annihilated by this horrible disease. So you know, that's one of the things that really inspires me. And, and we know that women's brains and men's brains are really different. And as you probably are well aware, most drugs, uh, whether it be for or your brain or your body, are not tested on women the way they're tested on men. So you know, that's a problem. You, along with Ken, are the co-founders of AgeWave. We are. Tell us about AgeWave and how and why you started it. 
Well, interestingly, we started it a really long time ago, back in the 1980s, 1986. We started it sitting at our kitchen table, literally. I'm, you know, I know everyone talks kitchen table businesses, but we we were entrepreneurs at a time when entrepreneurialism barely existed. And we decided that what we wanted to do was to get out there and be sort of like the Paul Revere's of aging. We wanted to tell people a different story about aging. We wanted to tell them that there was this new, it's not necessarily new, but there was this kind of aging that wasn't well represented either in the media or in consumer products or even in the field of aging, which is a very well-meaning field, but they're very focused on the most vulnerable uh, of the people aging. And there was this cultural assumption that everybody ages the same. Like if you're 50 years old, you're not that different than an 80 year old. And by the way, I'm just gonna lump you all together and say you're all like over the hill. And so our point of view was like, no, that is not the way it is. That is not the way it ought to be portrayed in the media or by consumer products. And we need to change the cultural assumption that 50 is over the hill. And I think that we did a really good job of doing that. Uh, we went out and we gave keynotes to all kinds of products and service companies. We worked basically for corporations because then you can take out a megaphone and instead of reaching one or two people, you can reach thousands of people at once. And, uh, and that was our goal was to really see how many people we could reach at one time. And we made a valiant effort and I think succeeded on many fronts to really change to a more positive image of aging. And along the way, we too were aging. <laughs> when we started this, we were in our early 30s. And uh, we were, so we were thinking about it as a trend. Oh, there's this big population that is moving into that second half of life. And now rather than thinking of it just as a trend, we're actually experiencing it. So that's kind of interesting all by itself. Uh, and on top of which, along the way, when we would go out and we would say, oh, but the aging are coming and it's all good news, we began to realize it's not all good news. And we started focusing on both the good news and the bad news, both from a professional perspective, but also we got involved with organizations to try to find cures or preventions or even delays to Alzheimer's disease, which is an unbelievable, horrible disease affecting people as they get older. And so going up 178%, it's projected, 178% over the next uh, 20 years or so. Yeah, the numbers are scary and they're big. And, you know, people over the age of 80 or 85, let's say 85, you know, half of them are going to get Alzheimer's and the other half are going to be caring for somebody with Alzheimer's. And, you know, that is not a pretty picture. And a lot, you know, there, there's no cure. We know there's no cure. There's little scientific 
innovation being done there uh, in that space. Uh, there's not that many dollars being put against it the way it should. I mean, there's more now than there were 30 years ago, but it's still a dire situation. And I don't know, it scares me like crazy because as I said, my grandmother and my mother both had to cope with it. And watching them go down that unhappy trail was a devastating experience for me. So I've taken it on as something I really care about. And I get involved with organizations. I'm uh, involved with two nonprofits to try to find a cure. And uh, I'm lucky enough to know what some of the things we can do to either prevent, but certainly delay the onset. And I'm, you know, fingers crossed, I hope I never get it. I hope no one I know ever gets it. But I'd like to see it, you know, stop not just for me and mine, but for everyone. So let's talk about for our audience some of the tools that you feel most strongly might be of help that one ought to do to prevent or delay or whatever words we want to use right. this process. Yeah. Well, you know. Honestly, the the field, and there is like this ecosystem of people and pharmaceutical companies and other kinds of biotech companies that are really focused in this space of Alzheimer's. So it's not like there's no attention being paid, but again, no cure, period. And then there's some people on the fringe who are neuroscientists or even... Uh, neurosurgeons and such who have come up with protocols, if you will, and they're not FDA approved. Uh, they're not tried and true, but they have tried them against certain individuals and had very good luck. And based on that information, a lot of us in the field have embraced a few things that you can do. So, you know, I want to be careful to couch it in, you know, we don't know for sure, but it seems to really make a difference. And these things, these tools, as you referred to them, are really lifestyle adjustments. And, you know, it's not rocket science, but there are some things you can do. So, for instance, we know that exercise is good for the body, but it's also good for the brain. And we have to remember that the brain also is a muscle and that it can grow or it can shrink. And one of the things that happens with Alzheimer's is that the brain kind of shrinks. And anyway, you don't want it to happen. And exercise actually does help. So just doing something, anything, 30 minutes a day is going to be something that could, that's a valuable tool to use your language. Um, second, diet really makes a difference. Uh, and again, what's good for the body is also good for the mind. Uh, but there's a little bit of specificity here. Uh, you want to, the worst thing you could do is put sugar in your body. So 
no sugar. Sugar actually destroys brain cells. So you want to avoid sugar. I mostly avoid it. It's hard to completely avoid it. As you know, it's almost impossible. I mean, and there's something, I mean, we all kind of love sugar, but I drink wine and wine obviously has sugar in it. So that's my one exception. But other than that, I try to stay pretty clean in the world of sugar and I use stevia instead. But, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables. Uh, they say, and when I say they, I mean the experts, the physicians who are focused in this area, they suggest getting into a mild state of ketosis, not, you know, not a keto diet per se, but a mild state of ketosis is actually beneficial. So, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables as plant-based as possible, a little bit of protein, but you know, that's, that's really good for you. Um, meditation. I mean, everybody is talking about, especially when we're all staying at home, now we have the time. So we ought to add some kind of mindfulness practice into our lives. It makes a difference. You'll probably sleep better at night and you'll probably manage your moods better as well. So, you know, that's a positive thing all around. Uh, in addition to which, as you probably are might guess if you didn't know already, as sleep is a big deal when it comes to managing or, or preventing, I guess I should say, preventing or delaying the onset of Alzheimer's. You know, they say seven to eight hours a night. I think that that's the goal. I mean, that's what you want to do, and you want to do it without taking sleeping pills, uh, without waking up a million times in the middle of the night, but you know, that's when our brains repair them itself. Our brain repairs itself at night while we're sleeping and you want that repair to take place. So there's just a few things. Well, you know, when I was, one time I was given a keynote out at the Aspen uh, Brain Institute, at the Aspen Institute. And I said, oh. look, I'm the least qualified person up here, but you heard, the people from one university got a grant and did a great paper on how a plant-based Mediterranean-style diet was good for their autism patients. And you're going to hear later from another university, they got a grant and they did a great study on uh, how it was good in, uh, you know, like kind of pre-Alzheimer's cognitive impairment kind of patients. Well, guess what? It's good for all of our brains no matter what your neurodiversity is, really, if you have ADHD, dyslexia, anything. And it's also good for your heart and for your brain and for preventing cancer and all of the above. And yet, we have to go through these things. And we don't, we as I'm talking, we and generically as a society, we won't do it. You know, we won't, we won't eat right. We won't, exercise even though all it takes is a half hour of moving around right we don't do this we don't do that we don't and and uh it's uh it's a conundrum because the things you've said and outlined are so commonsensical they are i agree yeah there are by the way there's some supplements you can also take but just focusing on what you just said i think it's a really interesting point because culturally you know, in our culture, we have created an environment or an ecosystem where, 
you know, fast food is better than slow food. Um, that's, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, it's better to eat a big steak than to have like broccoli and cauliflower. I mean, maybe there's, I mean, there are some creative ways to make broccoli that tastes kind of awesome. <laughs> and, you know, and I've certainly been discovering them over the last eight weeks in lockdown. <laughs> Food is a, a big, big deal. Exercise is a big deal. Mindfulness yeah. and meditation is just, you can do it in as little as five or 10 minutes a day if you really want. Sure. You know, I said sugar is like a no-no, but uh, there's a diet out there that I am a big advocate of, and that's an anti-inflammatory diet. And there's only three things you have to eliminate. And it, so it's pretty simple. And I was explaining it to somebody yesterday who called me for advice on this very subject, and she found a million reasons why this was too hard to do. So no sugar, which she found, okay, I could do that probably. I think that's the hardest thing to do. But she also, you know, the other thing, there were two other elements that I mentioned to her. Uh, one, no gluten. Now, it's not that gluten is inherently bad for you. It's just the way it's processed today in our modern cultures. It's not good for you. I mean, it's just not good for you. Uh, and third, which so no gluten, no sugar, no dairy. And the reason why these three things are really not good for you and that they really can help, by eliminating them, you can help prevent or delay the onset of Alzheimer's disease is very simple. They cause inflammation. And inflammation either in our bodies or in our minds are like the worst thing that can happen. I mean, in the body, it manifests as heart disease, it manifests as arthritis, diabetes. Uh, in our brain, it kills brain cells. And we don't want to do that. So, but why do we find this so difficult? It's because in our culture, just going out to dinner, and I love going out to dinner, uh, most people say, oh, that's way too hard. But you know what? It's not. I mean, I just, when I go out to dinner, I just say, hey, look, I don't eat this. What's gluten-free? And in Europe, they give you an actual menu that points out what's, what has gluten, what has sugar, what has dairy. Maddie, uh, tell our audience about supplements that are helpful. Okay, so uh, first, I would like to preface this by the fact that the best thing you could do is recognize the fact that there's a certain amount of customization that goes into creating a supplement program and, you know, people should work with their doctors. And if they have a functional medicine doctor that they work with, you know, they, that functional medicine doctor would do all kinds of tests and figure out what you need. But just as a couple examples, everybody could use some C. Vitamin C is an antioxidant. It's awesome. It's, there's no harm that it can do because it's water soluble. And uh, so, yeah, add C to your life. <laughs> uh, there's no question about it. Uh, I think that there are certain supplements <laughs> that are anti-inflammatory, and I would suggest focusing in on some of those. Uh, for instance, um, turmeric 
or turmeric, whichever way you say it, we know that that's an anti-inflammatory. So sure, put it on all your food, but you need to have larger quantities of it than just what you might put on your food. So take a turmeric supplement. It's not going to hurt you in any way, shape, or form. And they, the experts, say that it's going to help you. Uh, there are other things. No, they say that NAD, I don't want to do a commercial for NAD, but, you know, they say that, you know, they call that the anti-aging pill. So, you know, maybe that would be of help. I mean, I know that for me right now with this COVID-19 pandemic going on, that I've started taking NAC because it strengthens your whole respiratory system. And it's also good for your brain. I mean, there's so many things that it's good both for your brain and your body. And you now if you want a list, I can send you a whole list, but I would urge you to really, and, and listeners and viewers to delve into what it's, what you need. Just as one example, um, I can't take melatonin. I, it, it actually wakes me up instead of putting me to sleep. But if you can't sleep, there's nothing better than taking some melatonin. It can really help correct some of your sleep disorders. So I would strongly urge that. Um, I actually need something to help me keep my moods positive. So exercise is my biggest medicine for that. But I also take SAMA because it's great for your brain and it's also really good for your moods and managing stress. So, you know, there's, there's so many different things that you can do to take care of your body and your minds. And I think that the most important thing is recognizing that they're both very interconnected. And I would say there's one other thing that I didn't touch on that during this whole coronavirus pandemic, uh, it's really important for us to think about, and that is this whole idea of social isolation. And social isolation is not good for us. I mean, it's really not good for us. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the stats that the suicide rate and the depression rates have gone up during this whole pandemic. And that's alarming. And they say that happiness and interacting with other people actually can help grow gray matter in your brain. That's what you want to have happen. So, Well, socialization and strong social relationships out of all the factors, are the most underrated. I agree. And in fact, that when Harvard did a 75-year longitudinal study, which is a long time, yeah. to identify those factors in families and individuals, they followed for three quarters of a century. They thought it was what was going to affect their longevity, health, and happiness the most was, and their overall health was... Uh, things like, you know, genetics with cancer and heart disease and stuff. But what blew everything out of the water was strong social relationships by like 20 years in longevity. And then you talk about Alzheimer's rates and everything else. And in our society, you said it so well, we are not meant to be isolated. You're just not. And your body secretes different things when you hug somebody and the oxytocin and everything gets going and and uh, you can't duplicate it. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, we need to socially distance during this pandemic. But we also, if we can 
strengthen ourselves and create some resiliency then you know and have a safe group of people that we can interact with and hug and you know show our affection and love and whatever um i think that that makes a really positive impact on your health maddie what's the biggest misconception people have about aging so I think one of the biggest misconceptions about aging is that it's one size fits all. I mean, people come in different sizes and shapes and flavors and aging is different for all of us, each and every one of us. And I would encourage you to recognize that fact and to try to age as well as you can. Maddie Dykewald, thank you so much for being with us today here at Exploring Different Brains. We hope you'll come back again soon. Thank you. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.